strange things are afoot at the Circle K. I'm very important. Uh, I have any leather-bound book, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. I, I'm friends with Merlin Olsen, too. He comes over on occasion. What's up, everybody? This is Johnny Doe, and you're listening to episode 29 of Strange Things Are Afoot at the Circle K. This is a fantastic podcast for you to listen to if you want the opinions, the uh, rants, the um, diatribes of just a regular, everyday, red-blooded, blue-collar American male which is me. I'm nothing special. I'm just like you, or maybe I'm different. But uh, the thing that I'm not is I'm not a celebrity. I don't make any money on this podcast. I'm not attempting to make money at this podcast. I'm not attempting to be famous. I'm not attempting to to, uh, to market anything. Um, this is just my daily, uh, or excuse me, weekly journal, basically. And I decided to put it out there for people because I think other people's opinions are good to hear. I enjoy podcasts. I enjoy podcasting. Uh, I want to thank everybody out there that's a faithful listener. I have a few out there. Uh, We're growing, which, um, like I've said since the beginning, I don't care if it's 10 people or it's 100 people. Of course, I'd rather have 100 people. But, you know, this podcast is is definitely going to um, reach its peak sooner rather than later. Uh, this isn't something that's for everybody, and I understand that. But thank you for, if you've spread the word, if you've retweeted, if you've uh, visited my website, if you've just uh, given it a listen, because I do appreciate it, because it means that you're like me, that I'm constantly searching this world for other people's opinions and um, their opinions that have been facilitated uh, by their actions, meaning that they f- they formulated their opinions based on uh, what they do in the world and they back up their opinions by their actions. Okay. And that's what I try to do. I try not to talk too much out of my ass about shit that I really shouldn't be talking about. Of course, everybody has an opinion about a lot of things, but, uh, you know, if the one takeaway from this podcast, if you're a new listener, is that um, I, I I pride myself into pressure testing my ideas, and that that word right there is key. Idea. Uh, it it's not a belief. Okay, I don't have a lot of beliefs. There's very few beliefs that I have, because beliefs cannot be changed, or it's very hard to change them. Let's just say. Ideas are a little bit more fluid. It's something that um, can be bonafide. It's a work in progress. And that's the way that I see myself. I see myself at 42 years old as not set in my ways, but still a work in progress. I want to be a piece of clay um, where I can mold myself. Now, what you don't want to do in your life is to be a piece of clay that's easily molded by other people. Um, You can take people's opinions, but you need to apply some of 
uh, their ideas to your own life and, and try it out. And if it's not for you, then it's not something that you can call your belief or your idea. Uh, try it out. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And so you'll hear a lot of things um, that I give opinions about that I'm super passionate about. And it's usually because I've experienced something. And then you'll see me kind of talk out of my ass, um, or you'll hear me, I should say, talk out of my ass about something. And I, and I really don't have a hard line stance on this because, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't really touched my life or I've, I don't really know from experience. Okay. I say this uh, statement a lot where, you know, you, you start with an idea. Um, and when you're young, you have opinions, but you have to have some experience. Okay. Uh, you know, you can go to school and go to college. I encourage it. Educate yourself. Education though, is only the first step. You then have to try to make that education into knowledge by, um, testing it out. You don't really know something when you just read it. That just means you remember it and you can spout it off and you can act like it's knowledge, but it's not. The only true knowledge is something that you have experienced or something that you've seen or something that you can replicate um, that, that you can prove. All right. So education and then some experience, which gains knowledge and enough knowledge over time becomes wisdom. And that's my goal. And hopefully that's your goal as well. Uh, my name is Johnny Doe, if I didn't say before. I'm the host of this podcast, Strange Things Are Afoot at the Circle K. It's the worst name of a podcast or it's the best name of a podcast. You be the judge. Um, it is a reference to a to a film, but what that name means is, you know, obviously we're, we live in a re- really weird time, really weird world. And there's a lot of friction out there. And uh, I think we need to run into that friction instead of running away from it. And that's the only way we're going to solve some of these problems. We can't keep putting our heads in the sand as a society. So every podcast kind of has a different theme. If you listen to my last one, of course, Memorial Day. Um, If you're listening to this on Tuesday, I'm recording this on Monday on Memorial Day. Um, I celebrated Memorial Day. If you listen to my previous podcast, I am a veteran um, and not even a previous veteran. I'm, I'm currently serving right now. That is what makes me a blue collar guy as I still wore the uniform. Um, my name is not Johnny Doe. It is a, a pseudonym because I need to keep some anonymity because I am a member, uniform member of armed forces. So, um, I, I try to make sure to do that just in case I give some overbearing political opinions. I, I think it's kind of gives, um, me as a soldier, uh, it kind of puts me in a bad light if I, if I, you know, put my real name out there. So that's why I use the name Johnny Doe, but that is me, you know? Um, but this isn't a character. This is me. I just use a different name. So how I celebrated Memorial Day is I have a war memorial in my town and I went and, and uh, set some flowers 
on the the wall of the fallen soldiers in front of the um, this awesome uh, brass or not brass bronze uh, cast of like a, a, a World War II soldier. And it's a really cool memorial because it has the fallen soldiers of Iraq and uh, Afghanistan, OIF, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and OEF, which I'm a veteran of, Operation Enduring Freedom, or Afghanistan. Um, and that's what I like about it because it's, it's, it's current, okay? A lot of older war memorials are still, you know, uh, you know Vietnam or Gulf War or something like that. So um, I paid my respects. I, I did exactly like I said that I would do or that I do do from time to time when I go to war memorials is I read the names of people that I don't know. And I just want that name to be in my, in my brain and I'll read them and I'll read them over and I'll try to think of, of, do I know someone with that last name? Or I just, I just try to keep their name in my head and try to remember them. Even though I never knew them, it's important to remember those people that paid the ultimate sacrifices. So I don't want to forget their names and how blessed I am to have a war memorial so close to my home that I could go and and read those names whenever, uh, whenever I want to. And, and there's plenty of times that I go and and look at that memorial because it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. It really is. So hopefully you enjoyed your, your friends and family. You enjoyed your freedom that was given to you, gifted to you, if you will, by the veterans that did not make it home from uh, from war, because that's what this day is about. It's not about veterans that you know, uh, that you see that are still alive. It's about those fallen soldiers that paid the ultimate sacrifice. So uh, happy Memorial Day to everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you're probably back to work. I know I will be going back to work and uh, kind of starting back in the grind. I got an extremely busy week. I'm, I'm already stressed out because, uh, like I said, I'm a, I'm a regular guy. I got regular problems. And I have a pretty good life, I'm not going to lie, but um, it's a very stressful time for me right now. If you know anyone in the military, you know, um, you've probably heard of something called PCS, and it stands for Permanent Change of Station, and that's something I'm going to be doing in the next month. Except since I am in uh, the National Guard as an active duty soldier, um, it's a little bit harder than if you were in what we call the big army. Okay, the the army is there's three components to the United States Army. There's the what we call the big army, or the regular army is what they want to be referred to now. The Army Reserves and the Army National Guard, and they're all the uniforms are the same. They all say United States Army because they're all a component of the Army. They're just, they have different duties within the Army. Of course, if, uh, if we're at war, we all have the exact same job. But if, you know, if, if there's not a war going on, then of course the National Guard is, is well known and well regarded as, as being like the quote unquote state militia and any kind of civil unrest or any kind of natural disaster or anything like that. I mean, just about every movie that you watch, you hear, uh, call up the National Guard, you know, like if it's a disaster movie or a King Kong movie or whatever else, because that's our job. We we defend the home front, and then we go over and help our brothers and sisters in the regular army when they need some relief uh, overseas. So I've done both, and I'm a proud member. 
of the National Guard, but I'm actually uh, changing states. Um, I'm moving from the state that I'm in now, which is Kansas. Um, and I'm going to say that now because I'm on my way out. I, I try to keep some anonymity um, depending on who's listening to this. But yes, I am in the state of Kansas, which I am not from this state. Um, it's been good to me. Yes and no. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about Kansas. But with that being said, I don't want to be like sour grapes. I've had enough of this state. And I decided to apply for another job. I boarded for a, uh, a nationwide position. I got it. I came in first. I, I took the job. And so I will be moving to the great state of Wyoming. Yes, I said it, Wyoming. And it is going to be fantastic. Sheridan, Wyoming is where I'm headed. Up kind of not too far from the Montana border. And uh, why Wyoming? Well, you say why, but I say why not. And I'm not going to put it all on my wife and say that she picked, but I, you know, I had a couple different options, and and that's that was one of her one of her picks. And to be honest with you, it was definitely one of my top ones too. Is I've never even been to Wyoming before, but I like the adventure of thinking about moving someplace that I've never been. I have no idea what the population's like. I have no idea what life is like. Of course, you know, it's 2017, so I got Google Earth and Google Maps and, you know, internet and everything else. I can do a, a mountain of research, which I already have. And so I kind of know what I'm uh, getting into, but you don't know until you're there. But I'm one of those guys that I'm very much a home is where you lay, uh, lay your hat. So I can make just about any place my home. But I love the outdoors. I love the, you know, uh, the vastness. Um, I, I look forward to bitter, bitter cold winters and and then reveling in when the spring finally comes. I I, I think there's that that kind of thing builds character. But with that being said, with uh, with that move coming up, I'm stressed out because right now I'm in the process of trying to sell my house. Um, if anyone's listening to this, that's been in the military, you know, when you, when you ETS or you're done with your contract, ETS means, um, expiration term of service means you're done with, with army, um, or you're doing a PCS move or anything like that. You always have to turn in all your fucking gear. And then when you get to your new place, you get gear again. Now the, the regular army is a little bit different. I think the gear goes with you. But in the National Guard, since we belong to our st- our individual states, I'm I'm leaving one state and transferring to another, so I have to turn in all my shit, and then they'll give me more shit when I get up there. Stupid, but it's extremely stressful because if you've been in the army as long as I have, which is ten years, um, you're gonna lose some shit because there's stuff that I was issued that I have right now that I was issued ten years ago, and that stuff has made it through. A couple different uh, duty stations, a couple different um, cities of different units of deployments, stateside, overseas, seven different countries. I've, I've, it's, you know, I'm looking at this rucksack back here and it's bounced all over the world with me. Um, but why it's stressful is because you lose a lot of shit. And this will make you feel good, taxpayers. Hey, you bought it for me, but guess what? I'm about to buy it again because if I lost it, I got to pay for it. Even though a lot of this shit, the army is either going to burn or they're going to send to a foreign army because we don't even use this camouflage pattern anymore. Um, so it's, but it's stupid. 
because you lose something, even though no one's ever going to use it again, you still got to pay for it. So that stresses me out, trying to find all my shit, um, trying to still finish the work that I still have to do in this last month, trying to find a new place to live, which we have to rent, and rent is a little bit more up there, and, and there's not very many rental properties, and of course it's a 1,000 miles from where I'm at. So there's a lot of stress just trying to, just the logistics of trying to figure out all that. And then in processing, getting your orders cut. There's just a lot of stress involved. Have I said stress enough? Let me say stress one more time. You can tell that it's that it's weighing on me. It's a, it's a good stress in the sense of like I'm excited, but um, what I one of my things that I that I I I have. Okay, let me let me back up a little bit. I've been accused in my life of being a control freak. And there, there's some validity to that, but this is why. is because when I'm in situations like this, I hate it because I'm, de- I'm dependent on other people making decisions and getting stuff done. Like, for instance, I have to get what's called a Chapter 3 physical, pretty much a full physical, um, have everything checked so this new state knows that I'm in perfect health, you know, relatively speaking, to come up there and perform whatever duties I need to do for them, right? And of course, I'm going on an army post and half the time they either lose your paperwork or the appointment didn't get scheduled right or something got fucked up. And what, you know, so all this medical shit that I should have done last week or had done last week, I've gone there two different times and I can't get it done because someone fucked up the appointment. And so I'm going to try again next week. Well, why is that such a big deal? Because I can't start my next process until that medical stuff's done. Then I send all that paperwork um, to my uh, to the other state that I'm going to. They can start in processing me. Once they in process me, then they can cut my orders. And then after they cut my orders, I can actually start my move. But I can't start my move until I have orders to do so. And so I'm like a couple steps removed from that, and I have to wait on other people, and it really frustrates me. I like being in control 100%. I like, I don't, I rather someone tell me that I have a whole bunch of shit on my plate and I, and I have to take care of it than go, hey, we're just going to give you this, but we're going to have all these other people uh, help you out and do it, but they're going to kind of, you know, do it at their own leisure. I rather do everything myself. I'm just one of those guys. I don't like depend, to depend on too many people because people will disappoint you. Uh, so anyway, so those are some of the things that I'm dealing with now. I've, I've said in previous podcasts, like around episode early 20s or so, um, that I was looking, that I was kind of in a, in a funk and looking for some adventure again, that every three years or so I, I need something that kind of that kind of pushes me and, and, and scares me, lack of a better term. And uh, I was referring to this. I, I was thinking about this for a long time of applying for this job. I knew if I applied for... Uh, some of these jobs that I would get them just because I'm very highly qualified and I'm a badass fucking soldier. Um, yeah, but I, you know, just just being frank, just being honest. I knew that I would get it. I knew I had a very good shot of getting and uh, getting these other jobs, right? And so it it took me a couple months to get up the balls to nut up to do it. And then of course the application process in the military usually takes months and months and months. So so I finally got it. And this is kind of what I was looking for is I'm, I'm looking for, I was looking for an adventure. I always say you always got to kind of chase something that you're afraid of. And, and 
when you get comfortable and complacent, then you get lazy. And that's what I'm trying not to do. Well, this is forcing me not to be comfortable, complacent, or lazy. So if you listen to this podcast before, you know that I have official unofficial sponsors. And what are official unofficial sponsors? Well, I make no money off this podcast. I don't make a fucking dime. And I don't have any sponsors, but I do endorse products that I use that I enjoy. And so I make them official sponsors, but they're unofficial because they don't know that I sponsor or they sponsor me and they don't know that I mention them. And of course I don't get any money. So it's, it can't really be official. So I call it the official unofficial sponsors. Well, the number one is caveman coffee company because I love caveman coffee. My wife loves caveman coffee. I drink it every day. I have one cup a day and that's it. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know, I follow up that cup of coffee, uh, usually about an hour later, uh, maybe two hours later with a NOS energy drink, love NOS energy drink. But since I was getting ready to go through all my medical stuff, I didn't, you know, you have to fast and everything if you're over 40, like I am. And so I decided to cut out caffeine for a little while just to make sure all my levels were good. And NOS has a lot of sugar, has a lot of caffeine. Um, you know, I have to get my heart checked and all this other stuff. So it's just like, let me not throw off my EKG with a fucking whole bunch of caffeine. So I just kind of went cold turkey and just stopped drinking NOS. Well, that was eight days ago. And even though I'm done with all that part of my medical stuff, I just decided, hey, um, I've I've kind of weaned myself off of this. Let's see how far I can, I can make it last. Now, I love caffeine and I love NOS, but... Um, it has a ton of sugar and you know, I just felt like I was getting a little too dependent on it. Even though I only had one a day, I haven't had, well, I have one sitting in my refrigerator. It's been sitting there for a week and a half now because I haven't, I haven't touched it. So day eight of no NOS. So, um, I got to take them off the official unofficial sponsor list. I love you NOS, but I'm not drinking you anymore. So tell you what, if there's somebody out there that's, that's with the NOS corporation, I don't know who it's owned by, but, um, if you want me to get back on the sauce, you better send me some free shit and then maybe I'll start drinking it again. But until then, I think I'm going to, I'm just going to hold back. So it looks like Dasani water or buy is going to be my new, uh, is going to be my new sponsor because that's what I drink. I, I don't drink colas. I don't drink pop. I'll drink some lemonade every once in a while or some iced tea. Uh, but And I don't drink beer. I don't drink alcohol in general. So it's NOS was my kind of my last vice, and I'm I'm in the process of, of getting through that. I shouldn't say my, la- my last vice um, as far as beverages go. I still eat the shit out of some donuts. So I'm not a health freak by any stretch of the imagination, but – uh, what I try to do is, is be even keeled as I don't want, I try to cut out all the really bad shit and then I don't eat any of the really good shit. And I just eat the shit that's in the middle. And I figured oh, that's, you know, Hey, that's how I roll. So, so say la vie, nos. Um, okay. So what's this podcast about? You know, it's, it's more of a freeform podcast, but one of the ideas that I had written down in my little, my little log of different ideas that I uh, want to talk about is about me being an uh, overachiever. And it got me thinking because I was, I'm getting ready to move to Wyoming, a thousand miles away. It, it got me thinking once I told people that I work with that I took this other job and, have, and are moving, I realized that I work with a lot of losers. And this is why. 
is because almost every single person that I've talked to tried to talk me out of taking this job and tried to give me some scenario of why it's a stupid idea. For instance, someone will say, have you ever been to Wyoming? And I go, no, I never have. Well, it's this, 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 and this. And I go, okay, cool. Well, have you ever lived in Wyoming? Well, no. Okay. Well, I've visited places before, but I know that I'm not living in a hotel. So living there is always different than visiting. And me living there is different than you visiting or you living there. So instantly I get irritated because people constantly want to sit there and knock something down and say, well, that's stupid. Then people start talking about the other job that I'm uh, getting or uh, what this is going to be like. or that, And they give every scenario is always negative. They never say, oh, that's a great decision. It's going to be great for you. So I get that. And then the other half of the people go, yeah, I would move too, but I got kids and they're in school and blah, blah, blah. And they always give some fucking bullshit excuse. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with staying where you're at and just kind of living somewhere for the rest of your life. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But say it, if that's what it is, it is what it is. What I don't like is people do something in their life that they don't want to do, and then they make excuses why they're doing it. Don't make excuses. Yes, I don't have kids, but you know how many fucking thousands of people have kids that move all over the fucking country, if not all over the world? There's tons of people that do it. So don't tell me that that's an excuse. Oh, I can't try to do this because of my kids. People like to incite their kids as reasons for everything. Hey, man, I got kids. I can't do that shit. Hey, man, you know, it must be nice that you don't have kids, but hey, I got responsibility. It's like, oh, shut the fuck up, you know? You see how these people act, and they're not, you know, Mr. Father of the fucking Year 24-7, but they'll sit there and invoke their kids anytime something comes up. It's like, I got kids to think about. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, you weren't saying that when you're fucking that stripper last night, you know? Ugh. Take a drip of, uh, drip, <laughs> oh, heroin drip. No, a drink of Dasani since it's my new sponsor unofficially. So I've run into that. And why I say I think I'm working with a lot of losers is because my, my wife, on the other hand, she resigned her position. And of course, you know, she's moving with me, obviously. Um, well, if it wasn't obvious, it is now she is moving with me. Um, she got nothing but support and people being encouraging and saying, Oh, that's great. Oh, that sounds like fun. Oh, it's beautiful up there, whatever. And it just, it made me realize I'm making the right decision because I'm around a lot of negative people. And, and it, and it got me thinking about me overachieving in my life. And I've mentioned a little bit about my past on this podcast before, but, um, and I'll try to sum it up quickly, but, when I grew up poor and I grew up in government housing and shitty neighborhood, you're around a lot of people that are quote unquote losers, okay? Or they're burnouts or they just don't have anything going for their life and they don't have any any way to change it because they're not marketable. They can't make, they're not in a position to make demands. They're, you know, uneducated, single parents, whatever. And they just, they don't have a lot of um, status, a lot of pull in society. So they're kind of just stuck. And, hey, you know, that was me. 
that was that that was my mom that was my family so i'm not i'm not knocking anybody for that being them but that's just a fact that there's a lot of people in this world that they're just stuck in whatever situation um for better or worse they're stuck right and so when you're around a lot of people that are stuck like i was when i was growing up i was around a lot of negativity a lot of people telling you that you're a loser you're never going to accomplish anything uh, people were negative about the world um, they, they, they had dreams, but they were pipe dreams. They're very much just head in the clouds, no facilitation, right? And so that's how I lived my life until I was about 18 years old is, is I wanted to pay, play third base for the Red Sox. And then I wanted to be a professional artist. And then I wanted to, you know, there's always something I wanted to do, but that I didn't really want to put in the work to do it. I didn't, I wanted to tell myself whatever lie that if I was going to work or going to school, that one day this isn't going to be me. But there was nothing I was doing that was that was kind of um, contradicting that statement. Nothing. I was just um, kind of stuck in a loop. And, um, you know, I credit my mom a lot for kind of shaking me out of that uh, when I didn't graduate high school and I obviously wasn't going to going to college and I quit my job because I worked in a restaurant for two years and I felt like a loser because I was like, I don't want to work here. And everyone knows, you know, I didn't graduate. So they all think I'm a loser and I'm just, so I just quit my job. And my mom's like, well, you're going to go get a full-time job. Well, you know, what's your plan? I'm like, I don't fucking know yet, mom. Just, you know, get off my ass. She's like, okay, well, I, I'll give you one week and you're either going to enroll in school get your GED or get a full-time job. But if you stay here, you're paying fucking rent. So you got that hanging over your head too. You get one week to make your fucking decision or you're out. And that's when reality hit me for the first time in my life that, oh shit, I just can't sit on my ass and just wait for someone to solve my problems. And within that week, I went out and got a full-time job, uh, applied for a couple different ones, still lived at home probably for, you know, another six months or so, paid rent, paid utilities, all that stuff, bought my own groceries. And then I finally moved out. And one thing I realized, you know, when I moved out, of course, is how much shit cost, how much, uh, you know, how hard it is just to make a living. I used to think just, you know, making 500 bucks a month was a lot of money. I was like, oh shit, I can live off that. But you don't realize how much that it costs to just keep the ball rolling. And then at the end of the month, you're starting all over again because you're broke and all your bills are paid, but you're broke. But so you got to make sure to go to work and, and work twice as hard and pick up overtime and everything just to have extra money, just go to the movies. Uh, Famously, I have a story that I used to tell kids that uh, I used to teach in middle school, and I, I, I've told young privates this, told my wife. But there for uh, a couple months, I was so poor that my budget, and then, remember, I didn't grow up in the fucking 70s or 60s or 50s. This is the, like the late 90s, okay, mid-90s, I should say, mid-90s. Mid um, my budget for food in one week was $10. That's how little money that I had. 
that, I mean, I was living literally paycheck to paycheck and, and still maxing out my credit cards on top of that. Within the first couple years of being out on my own, I was filing for bankruptcy. That's how poor I was. And I had two fucking jobs. My next low point in my life was when I filed for bankruptcy, I believe I was like 24. I um, worked two jobs for four years and then I quit one of them and was working in a lumber yard full time and I got laid off from that one right after I filed for bankruptcy. And so when I actually went to bankruptcy court, the judge makes you stand up and explain, you know, like how much money you make, how much your debt is, and they try to see how much they're going to let you like not have to pay back. And all your creditors are there to like argue why you should be able to pay something. And the judge had me stand up. My lawyer was there and they said, uh, Mr. Doe, <laughs> um, what, you know, what's your, what's your current position? How much money do you make? And I said, you know, your honor, I don't make anything right now because I've been laid off my job and I haven't been able to find any more work and I'm applying for unemployment, uh, next week. And all my creditors stood up and walked out of the fucking room. And it's not like I was like hundred thousand dollars in debt. I think I filed for bankruptcy and I had like, and I, you know, I had a, I had a car payment and stuff, but I didn't put that on my bankruptcy. I just, it was just a bunch of credit cards. And I think I had, you know, it was like $13,000 or something. I mean, which was stupid if you think about it from a standpoint of there's people file bankruptcy that, you know, $60,000, $100,000, whatever. This is only like $13,000. But my point is I couldn't even afford to pay my minimums on my credit card bills. So they were, you know, in collections and everything else. That's how poor I was. And so... Uh, that month, um, within a month, I got a call back from a really good job. And I'll never forget getting that call back. And I got that call back. It was a General Mills Corporation. And they left a message on my answering machine. Yes, kids, there was something called an answering machine back in the day. Not voicemail, answering machine. Tape, yeah, the whole nine. So... Why I will never forget that answering machine is because when it woke me up, it was like nine in the morning or something. And I got up and I hit play on my answering machine to listen to this message of, hey, Mr. Doe, we got your uh, application. You know, everything looks good. We want to set up an interview because uh, you're a candidate, blah, blah, blah. And I'm listening to this as I'm turning the TV on. And right when I turn the TV on, I see a plane fly into the Twin Towers. Because that was 9-11, 2001. <laughs> that, was, that lady was calling me as the second plane was hitting the World Trade Center. And so I'll never forget that. So fast forward to the job interview. Uh, I've said before I interview very well. So anytime I interview for a job, I almost always get it. Or actually, I have, I have always gotten it. Um, and so I got hired. And this job paid so much more than what my previous job paid the one I got laid off from. And so that was kind of the beginning of, of, of starting to understand that I could achieve more than what people were telling me. I didn't have a high school education. I would lie on applications, and because I'm a fairly smart guy, no one really questioned me on it. Um, 
I didn't have any college, obviously. Uh, I've talked about on this podcast before. I had dyslexia, so uh, I wasn't a fast reader. I couldn't do math very quickly. Um, I, I had to compensate in other ways. Okay, there's there's a lot of things that I had to compensate for, but I did. I would plan for stuff, and and uh, as long as I was prepared, if if I had some kind of test or something I had to take, I, I could usually do pretty well. And so, you know, bad neighborhood. I had bad eyesight and really terrible astigmatism when I was a kid uh, all the way through my adulthood until I later got eye surgery. Um, I, you know, didn't have any money. I didn't come from an affluent family. I didn't have an education. But I got this job at General Mills, and it was kind of an entry-level job, laborer job. And there was a division of General Mills, uh, the, the Bisquick division. You know, everyone's heard of Bisquick, right? Well, in this plant, they made all the Bisquick for the entire planet. Uh, you know, Bisquick for China, for America, for Canada, every place that sells Bisquick. Well, that place in that in the in the in the big plant was was paid the most was the Bisquick division. But nobody wanted to bid on those jobs. It was a union job. Nobody bid on that job because you had to take a test. And I, supposedly the test was really, really hard. But that was the only air-conditioned place in the whole building. The, the building would get like 100 degrees in the summertime. It was, it was horrible, horrible. But the Bisquick, because of the way – imagine Bisquick, okay? When it gets super hot and humid, it, it all clumps together. So to keep it from clumping together – they would have to keep it like super cold there. Not like a freezer or anything, but like seriously, like 65 degrees. So it was super nice in the Bisquick division. You know, they had to keep all the doors closed and everything. And it paid like $4 more than every other place in this in this flour mill. And so I was like, fuck it. You know, I got nothing to lose. Everybody says how hard it is. So if I fail the test, it's not like anyone's going to be surprised. So I went ahead and bid on it, took the test and I don't know how good I did, but I got the job. Once I got that job, I knew that test was hard because no one could believe that I got the that I got the job, that I passed it. And then they send you to school to get what's like the equivalent of an associate's degree, uh, like a two-year tech degree. And I you start as a tech one, and I made it all the way up to technician level four in like three years. And was making actually really good money, really good benefits. And at, at the end of that three years, I realized something that I was an overachiever that my entire life. I mean, I didn't graduate high school. I had a learning disability. I was in a poor neighborhood and government housing. I couldn't hold a job. I filed for bankruptcy. Um, I had, you know, terrible eyesight. I, I was kind of socially awkward but as soon as I, 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 I found something that I was afraid of and said, fuck it, what's the worst that's going to happen? And just went for it. I realized that I could achieve a lot more than what people were saying that I could. Not one person encouraged me to try to get this job. Not one. Why? Because everyone in my life perpetuated that stereotype that I, that I said to myself, I was stupid or that I couldn't do it or whatever. Right. And so no one ever encouraged me in my life to really go for anything. 
Um, my mom, like I said, she, she pushed me to be a hard worker, but she never had high expectations for me. She never saw me really achieving much, right? She just didn't want me to be in jail and she didn't want me to be homeless or, you know, be whatever. She's wanted me to be, you know, be a hardworking person. You know, my, I lived with my grandparents for, for nine years. My grandpa's dream was I get like a union job and just be a laborer my whole life. Right. That was the, that was the, the pinnacle for me was the highest expectation anybody put on me was just get a full-time job and, and hold it. And so now I was in the Bisquick division with an education that was all paid for. I was making more than just about everybody else in the plant. Even though I was working long hours and shitty hours, I was making a really good money for, for what I was doing. And at the end of about three years of doing that, I didn't like that job anymore. The people I worked with were awful. They were negative. They were, they were burnouts. They were people that they worked there for 10, 15 years. So they're trying to do their 20 years. So they get retirement or 30 years, whatever retirement was at that fucking place. Um, but they knew they couldn't go somewhere else and make that kind of money. And anytime that you're in a position like that, because there's a lot of people in the army that are like that too, where, where you know you're being overpaid for what you're doing, well, you feel trapped because you don't think that there's, you know, there's, there's not even lateral movement. Everywhere you move is going to be backwards, so you got to stay where you're at. And so no one was encouraging of, of anyone to get out of there. Everyone's just like, hey, you're going to work here for the next 20 years just like me. And so everyone was just real negative and very much like just pay your dues and, and you're going to be just like us, no better. And of course, I wanted to be a, a professional artist. That was my dream. And so I would, you know, be drawing on my breaks and showing them comic book ideas and stuff like that. And everyone just kind of shit on those ideas. Dude, you're lucky to have this job. And I would have friends and family members say the exact same thing. Like, it's great that you have some, you know, ambition, but come on. What, what are the chances you're actually going to make money at that? Just be happy the job that you have. Just like right now, I have people at my work just saying, hey, you know, just keep your head down and do your 20 years and you're fine. Don't, don't worry about trying to challenge yourself. Just come to work every day, punch the clock and go to work. But there's, there's something inside of me that grew in my early 20s. I got a I got a taste of people telling me that I couldn't do something or not to do it. And then when I would look at them, I would go, okay, should I take their advice? And then I would look at them and go, if I take their advice, then I'm probably going to end up like them. And do I want to end up like them? And most of the time the answer was no. The person that was giving me that advice is not somebody I looked up to. And so um, when I was working at General Mills in the Bisquick division, I was making good money and people, you know, just treated me like you're not going anywhere. You're kind of a slave. And one day I just up and fucking quit. And I said, fuck you. And I literally said, fuck you, because I first time I ever quit a job and I wrote a letter to the plant manager telling them why they don't need to hold this job for me that I'm never coming back and listed all the reasons why. 
because I saw it as a prison. I saw that that place was trapping me. Why? Because I had fantastic benefits. We got stock options. You got free health care. You got life insurance, you know, 401k, um, really good pay, overtime, double time, triple time for holidays. It, there was just, you know, got free Bisquick. <laughs> Is that a good benefit? I liked it. A lot of fucking free pancakes. But I saw it as a social trap. I saw it as, okay, if, if I stay at this job, I'm not going to grow as a person because I can't. Because I was working 12-hour shifts, sometimes 16-hour shifts. And I didn't even hardly get to see my family. I didn't get to do anything fun. And I had a lot of money because I didn't have time to spend it. I didn't have time to really enjoy myself. And you only got like two weeks vacation. And um, and then you had to be there like five years before you got like three weeks vacation. And it was just, it was just I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it because... I was in my early 20s and basically it was it was telling me just go ahead and just mark off the next 20 years of your life on the calendar because this is where you're going to be. Don't make plans. You're going to be right here. And I was like, "Do I want to do this? Is this what life's about? Is just this where you're not challenging yourself, you're not doing anything new because there's no new challenges. It was always you knew what you were doing every day. You're making fucking bisquick. You're running it through a $3 million machine. And when it breaks, you were, you were fixing it. And that was it. And that, that was your job is to make Bisquick and fix the machine and keep the machine running. That's it. Working for some fucking corporation that didn't give a fuck about you. And as soon as they had enough money to make a robot that could do that fucking job, they're not going to have you do it anymore. And so when I quit, it was one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. Because I knew if my art career didn't work out, I couldn't just go get another job somewhere making the same money. I didn't even have a high school diploma. I had a learning disability that hurt, affected my confidence. At the time, that's really all it, all it did is because once I realized what it was and how to, how to fix it, uh, quote unquote fix it, um, how to prepare so it doesn't impact me. But it was a huge um, shot to my confidence. So I, I didn't think I was the smartest person, but there's something inside me that said, hey, Johnny, you passed that test to get into Bisquick. How stupid do you think you are? You can't be that stupid. But my whole life, people treated me like I was stupid. I had teachers tell me I was stupid. I didn't graduate high school. And so later on, when I went through my art career, I had moderate success. I got some things published. I got some things reviewed. I got some, you know, Hollywood deals that didn't pay me dick. I, I, you know, um, published, you know, a couple dozen things, worked for some bigger companies, but it was, it was, um, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that it was disappointing because I realized something that I loved. One, I wasn't that good at it to, to do it professionally. And two, when you do something you love and try to make money and you try to monetize it, sometimes it doesn't work out because you have to compromise the things that you kind of love about it to make money. You have to start well, you might as well go work for General Mills because you got someone else telling you what to draw, how to draw it. You don't have the creative freedom that you thought that you did. Now, some people can break through that and they can start doing their own shit and start 
drawing their own stuff and they're kind of their own boss. But I wasn't even close to being that yet. So I had to listen to other people. And what got me out of that was joining the military. I decided after um, when the troop surge happened in 2006 and I had a buddy that he was he got uh, stop lost and sent to his third deployment. He was a Marine and um, and his buddy got stop lost too and his buddy didn't come back. And I remember him telling me this and his wife was telling me how unfair it was that he was having to go back over there. He's already done his time and it's someone else's turn to do their time. And I kept thinking to myself, I've never served in the military. I've, I'm a healthy person. Why, why does he have to do it three times or four times or five times and leave his family? He's, you know, I I just felt guilty that I didn't serve my country. My country was at war with two countries and there was, you know, in 2006, there was a lot of shit going on in Iraq. And so I dedicated my life to fitness, getting in shape, and then I joined the military. I quit being an artist, and I uh, I went and took my GED test. Um, I think I've, I said it before on this podcast. I didn't I didn't get my GED until I was in my 30s, and I got a perfect 800 in two different categories. Because uh, I prepared for it. I studied for it. Then when I took the ASVAB, I blew it out of the water. Could get any job that I wanted in the military. And I said, make me a fucking infantryman. And I wanted to join the active duty Marines. My ex-wife, uh, my my first wife would not allow it. She's like, fuck you. You're not joining the Marines. She wouldn't let me join active duty Army, active duty anything. And so we compromised. And I said, I really want to do this. She goes, okay, just you know, do a part-time thing. And so the National Guard is the only branch that had infantry soldiers in the reserve components. So I joined the National Guard and went to basic training, went to AIT, graduated at the top of my class, uh, got offered a special forces contract, turned it down. I wouldn't have made it through. So I'm not trying to be high speed. Trust me, it's they offer just about anybody that can score good on the PT test and has a high high line score as they offer them that contract. But but uh, anyway, long story, lo- very, very long story, not as long. Um, I passed that up, but when I once I, I, I got back uh, from training, the Army 100% gave me the confidence to never have fear ever again. And I didn't go to basic training until I was in my 30s, early 30s. And it made me fearless. It made me realize that I had untapped potential. That my entire life, people were telling me that I couldn't achieve anything and that they were holding me back. And so I, it's one of the reasons why I, I don't talk to hardly anybody I grew up with. I don't, I don't stay in touch with any of my friends from high school, any people I grew up with for the most part. There's a couple that I do. But it's because in my life, I've run into so many people that try to hold me back and try to tell me why I can't do anything. But I rarely have people in my life that tell me why I should make changes or why I should go for my dreams, why I should risk everything. What do you really achieve when you risk nothing? If you risk everything, then you have you have skin in the game. You have a reason to keep pushing until you achieve something. 
And so when I achieve something in the military and then later deploying to Afghanistan and doing 211 combat missions, you know, being in a sniper section, going to air assault school, doing all these, all these things that I accomplished that nobody said that I could. They, people love to hold you back. But don't let those people hold you back. I am what's called an overachiever. I'm lucky in that regard. I, I have uh, been, um, I've known people in my life that were underachievers, that they come from affluent families, trust fund, lots of money, and they just did not live up to the hype. I had no hype, not one person. I guarantee if you talk to one person, if you knew anyone that I went to high school with and said, you know, what my real name is, but said, hey, do you know Johnny Doe? Most of them wouldn't even know my real name, okay? They, and if it rang a bell, they would. it would be a throwaway thing. But not one person that I grew up with ever thought that I would achieve anything. And sitting here right now, what have I achieved? Well, on paper, or if you look at my bank account, you might not think that I've achieved a lot. But let me tell you something, Jack. <laughs> let me tell you something. And I say this with all humility. I am my own biggest fan because I know the struggles that I have in my head, in my heart, with my self-esteem, with everything that I had growing up, that person is, is long gone. That I am fearless in the sense of fear does not keep me from going forward in my life. And one of the reasons why I'm moving to Wyoming is because it scares me and I like that feeling. I like doing something that scares me. You know, when I went to Afghanistan, I volunteered to go. I wasn't slated to go. I was supposed to go to Africa. But Africa was a peacekeeping mission, and I didn't want to go to Africa. I wanted to go to fucking war. And so I begged. I begged and was the last person picked for this for this 60-man uh, team that was going over there. And so I have always gone after what I wanted in the you know the last 10, 15 years of my life. I, you know, even when I was younger, when in my late teens, early 20s, I had something inside of me when people said, you can't do that. I wanted to say, fuck you. Yes, I can. I used to work 16 hours a day and come home and draw because I want to be a professional artist. So I'd stay up for four hours and work on my comic books. I would sometimes cry at night at the idea that I wouldn't be able to be a professional artist. And one day I had an awakening. And I realized it wasn't being a professional artist that I wanted so bad. It was just to be able to achieve something that I was proud of. And I've done that. I'm extremely proud of the person I have become. When I thought about doing a podcast, I did it. When I thought about you know joining the military, I did it. When I thought about, uh, you know, getting LASIK surgery, getting my GED, uh, you know, talking to my wife for the first time, you know, m bouncing around the, the, the state or the country, 
taking jobs, taking chances, I did it. And I don't have this sexiest life where I'm be like, oh, I had an apartment in Rome, or and then I, you know, climbed Mount Everest, and then I decided to be an astronaut. I'm not talking about that. People don't give themselves enough credit for maybe the smaller things. I'm not Neil Armstrong. I'm not someone that climbed Mount Everest. I'm not somebody that that uh, you know swam from you know the the English Channel. I don't run ultra marathons, but what I do do is I get out of my comfort zone and I challenge myself at any corner of my life that I feel like I'm losing it and I'm getting bored and I'm getting complacent, I mix it up and I throw everything away and I go for something else. And I'm not scared of losing something because ultimately what I lose is my freedom. I lose the opportunity for an experience because you know what? If I moved to Wyoming and it was the worst decision I ever made, then you know the 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 lemonade that's made from those lemons is the experience and the knowledge and the wisdom that comes from that. And that's so invigorating to me. And it's exciting because that shit makes you remember that you're alive. The best thing about going to war is it made me not ever settle for the mundane things in life because I want adventure. I want action and I want fear. And so I can safely say that I'm an overachiever because everyone in my family, everyone, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and all my family's still there. All my aunts and uncles, cousins, mom, sister, all of them. And they're all successful in their own right. But I don't know that any of them stepped out of their comfort zone to really try to get and, and find their own path. And maybe they have, you know, and they just want to be in Kansas City. But I don't believe that. The world is too big for you to be in one place for 40 fucking years and not ever have the idea of getting out of your comfort zone and moving to a place you you don't know how anything operates. And when someone said to me, you've never been to Wyoming before, you're stupid. And I go, you know what? I've never been to fucking Afghanistan before and I lived there for a year. And I guarantee Wyoming's better than Afghanistan. I made it work there. And I will tell you right now, and anybody listening to this that's a veteran of, of Afghanistan, especially if you're in the eastern part of the country, you can back me up on this. It's a fucking beautiful country. The mountains of Afghanistan, I'm telling you, that could be a ski resort in some of those places if they, if they you know, weren't planting IDs on the fucking ski slopes. Beautiful mountains, beautiful country. And it's beautiful because it's almost un, untouched by man in certain places. I loved Afghanistan. I really did. I loved the, the environment. I love how rugged it was. 
there's 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 something about that place that I uh, that I enjoyed. I really did. And so what it what it did to me is it made me it, is it is war it, it's like it uh, threw gasoline on the fire in my soul and it just made it explode and it made it spark up big and ignite these big flames that I I, I constantly don't want to get complacent I want to challenge myself because who knows what I can achieve there's not one person when I said I was doing this podcast that was supportive except my wife and my mom. My mom's supportive about everything, but my mom's kind of, she's not all there in the sense of, I mean, I could tell her, be like, hey, mom, I, I want to be an astronaut. Oh, that's awesome. You should do that. You know, I mean, she just, you know, she just doesn't, she doesn't, yeah, she, she, she's a mom, okay? And, that, and that's great. But my mom has... You know, she's supportive in the sense of she doesn't actually know how hard something is to do. And so, you, you, you know, you, she's never going to like prepare you to do that, right? She, she'll, she'll never tell you not to do something, but she's not going to kind of get in the weeds on helping you achieve that, if, if that makes sense. But no one else really does. No one else really, uh, really want, wants, uh, is really pushing me to do anything. My wife is. My wife's had a great life and uh, lots of adventure and lived a lot of different places and lived all over the world. And I'm so envious of how she lived when she when she was growing up. I love hearing her stories of going to college in Austria and going to elementary school in Germany or or the UK or you know um, when she you know slept on this in the streets of Greece because they they didn't have a hotel to stay in and you know there's she has a lot of great adventure um, at a young age. And then she's bounced around the country from, you know, Chicago to Ohio to North Georgia to Atlanta to Kansas, you know. She's she's lived all over the place. And I think that's awesome. And because she has, she encourages me to get outside of my box and to do other things. And we've done some fun things together, and and hopefully we're going to do a lot more. And it's a great feeling when you know you're not afraid of the uncomfortability and the stress that I talked about at the beginning of this podcast. I'm not afraid. I know what that is. I have knowledge. I have wisdom. I've gone through those stresses before, but it doesn't scare me. It doesn't keep me from doing it. You know, I, I use the word fearless a lot, but it's it's not it's not the correct definition because it's not the absence of fear. You know, I, I have it, it's it's a courage thing because you have fear, but you're not scared of that fear. You, that fear is not going to cripple you. It's not going to paralyze you. It's it's going to keep you alert. The good thing about fear, okay, um, good thing about like being in combat, for instance, is it makes you hyper aware and hyper focused. And when you learn to flip that switch and to be hyper aware and hyper focused, you can you can come back to the civilized world and you can kill it because there's so many people that aren't. They're just zombies walking through the world and they're staying in the same stagnant place that they've always stayed because that's a comfortable place. 
They stay in the same job, the same marriage, the same kind of car, the same kind of house, the same vacation spots where all the other tourists fucking go. But I told you when I went to Italy, one of the most beneficial things about my trip is I rented an apartment amongst Italians instead of a hotel with a bunch of fucking American tourists. And so it was hard and it was stressful because I had to figure shit out. But it made it exciting and exhilarating and I loved it. There's nothing better than just getting lost somewhere and having to find your way. Last story I'm going to give before I end this podcast. This is already getting long. But when I talk about not being afraid, I bought a Jeep recently. And 2015 Wrangler, it's my second Wrangler I've had. I love Jeeps. I'm a, I'm a huge car nut if you've listened to this podcast before. But Jeep Wranglers, there's just something about them. I love them. The, the, the simplicity of them, I, I love and this one came with aftermarket headlights that were real expensive, right? Well, one of them had an electrical issue. And all the message boards that I went on that talked about these headlights, a lot of people were having similar issues. So I knew if I sent it back to the manufacturer, just got a new headlight or a new ballast or a new fuse, that I would run into the same problem six months from now because it was just kind of a, they haven't figured out, they were even going to recall these for a while. They just didn't figure out the problem. So long story short, I was like, I got to get these headlights out because I'm getting ready to move to Wyoming. Um, I need to have some good headlights, right? So I decided to buy some new headlights and replace them myself. Now, I'm not a a retard. Like I said, I have a level four technician um, certification through General Mills. (laughs) I don't know if that's good or bad. But, you know, I know basic stuff. I know how to turn a wrench. I know basic electrical stuff. But I'm by no means a mechanic and by no means am I a uh, electrical guru. So I looked at these headlights and I was thinking, okay, you know, I could probably take these out. Well, once I got into it, I realized that they were wired into everything. And so let me try to keep this story short. So I started clipping wires and taking these headlights out. And long story short, I got all these wiring harnesses, all these ballasts, all this fucking shit out of the hood of my car and hooked up the new headlights and the turn signals weren't working. The headlights were working, but the turn signals weren't working. The side markers weren't working and the horn wasn't working. And I could not figure it out. And I was starting to panic because it got late at night. I had to, you know, I couldn't drive my Jeep that first night because I couldn't figure it out. Next morning, I had some showings in my house, so I had to leave my house. I uh, couldn't drive my Jeep. I was in my wife's truck, and I was stressed out going, fuck, I'm getting ready to move. I got all these other stresses, and I fucked up my Jeep. I can't get the horn to work. I can't get the blinkers to work. can't get the side markers to work. And so I took this thing apart a couple different times. I could not figure out what the problem is. So later that day, after my house showings, I came back home and I almost started to panic. And I just stopped and I go, listen, Johnny, they worked just fine before you started fucking with the headlights. So whatever you did, you can undo. You know how to troubleshoot. Get online, get on the internet, make some phone calls, try to figure it out. Don't give up. Now, remember, this is a holiday weekend, so there's no place that's open I could take my car to even pay someone to do it. And I have that kind of attitude where I'm like, okay, 
I, I can figure it out and be quite transparent. I did call a place and made an appointment on Tuesday to bring my Jeep in, right? But I knew, because this is Saturday when all this is happening, I was like, okay, I got an appointment on Tuesday, the quickest they can get me in. But man, I can't go out like that. I'm going out like a punk. I fucked up this Jeep. I got to be able to fix it. How do I do it? And so I just started troubleshooting, troubleshooting, troubleshooting. And I was out there for six and a half hours just fucking around with different things. Splicing wires, ground wires, fucking with the battery, fuses, everything. And guess what? I fixed all three things. I fixed the blinkers, side markers, and the horn. And it wasn't a fuse. It wasn't something so stupid like that. It was a wiring issue. I had to rewire some shit. But I figured it out through trial and error and not giving up. And when I ran in and told my wife that I fixed it, I've had few moments in recent months I've been so proud. And I was proud. You know why? Because no one helped me. I figured it out. I didn't give up on myself. And instead of telling myself I was too stupid to do it, I, I enabled myself and empowered myself and said, you can figure it out. If you can fuck it up, you can fix it. And there's a way to fix it. You just have to figure it out what it is. And so I took the Thomas Edison approach is when he invented the light bulb, it took him like 800 attempts. So every time he tried a filament that didn't work, he just marked it off the list. And he knew that there's only, you know, sooner or later through trial and error, he would figure out the right way. And I knew that I would just try to wire wire everything up in different different configurations. And sooner or later, as long as I didn't give up, I'd figure it out. And six and a half hours later, I figured it out. So that was a kind of a a um, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a um, example. You know, it's not the word I'm looking for, but I'll, it was an example of how just to live my life. It was a metaphor of not giving up. That it might be tough. It might be scary. You might have a struggle. I mean, I thought I fucked up my new Jeep I just spent 30 grand on. But I didn't. I figured it out. And now I have an intimate connection to that vehicle because I know exactly what I did and what I can do if something happens again. It enabled me. It made me feel like a part of it. I didn't depend on someone else where I got to pay somebody a bunch of money and not even understand what I did wrong or what to do to fix it. It enabled me to take ownership, literally and figuratively, of everything and know that it's it's not beyond my expertise that if another human being can figure it out so can I I just I just have to I just have to 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 use the steps that I've always known trial and error okay so I had to share that story because I didn't think I could fix it and I did I surprised myself so so those little victories those little things that I hang my hat on that make me so proud of the things that I accomplish. So every once in a while, you got to take a win where you can get it. And you got to encourage yourself 
and, and give yourself credit where credit is due. Like I said, I didn't, I, I didn't climb Mount Everest. I fixed my Jeep. But God damn it, I'm going to give myself credit. You got to boost yourself up. You got to have humility when you need it. But if you truly accomplish something that you didn't think you could do, you got to throw yourself a little party, you know? So I did. I went in the bathroom and masturbated, and that's how I celebrated. So, all right. Well, you know, we're going to go ahead and index this podcast because, you know, it's gotten to be kind of long, but hopefully you learned something from it. And hopefully if you, if, if no matter if you're an overachiever or an underachiever, just understand that you're in control of your own destiny and life isn't supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be difficult and you can either run away from it and get caught by life or just run in head on to it. And if a fucking cheetah or a fucking puma, we'll say a puma, cheetahs are kind of skinny. I think I could whoop a cheetah's ass, but a puma, they're a meaty motherfucker, you know, and they're, you know, they weigh a, a, a bunch. And so if a puma is chasing me, I can either run and him drag me down from the back and eat me asshole first, or he can, I can run head at that motherfucker just right at him. Man, he's going to get some good licks in, and he might eat me, but he's going to eat me fucking head first. And he's going to eat me with some fucking knees to his fucking throat and some fucking elbows, some ground and pound. I probably can get fucking top mount on a fucking, I, I have a pretty decent guard, and I bet you I can reverse the position. Now, I might pull guard on a fucking Puma, but trust me, I'm fucking swinging from the bottom. And I think, yeah, he's going to put a paw on the ground, and I think I could probably lock in a triangle. I think I could fuck up a Puma. Those claws are the only thing that's suspect. You Tell you what, if someone out there has a Puma, declaw that motherfucker, and I'll go fucking five rounds with that bitch. I don't give a shit. Declaw him and put a muzzle on him, and I... I I bet you I could throw down. I bet you I could choke out a Puma, you know? I don't know if you could do the same kind of arm bar. Their joints are probably different, but uh, I, I I could probably triangle choke that bitch. Anyway, my point is run at the Puma. <laughs> Fuck, this went off the rails. All right. Till next time, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Um, this is the fourth consecutive month of having more listeners every month than I did the last. So thank you very much. And till next time. Peace out, everybody.